0: Hello, and welcome to the Strength To Be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright, Mark Antony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host, Hi folks, and welcome back to Strength To Be Human. This is episode number 76, Technology and the Arts. I'm your host, uh, Mark Anthony Rossi. Now, when we talk about technology, we're really talking about the, the various things in, uh, in life in terms of the, the equipment and, and the incredible improvements and, and the inventions and in just, let's say, the last like 35, 40 years that's really changed a lot that has to do with art and especially with writing okay cuz I mean I, I'll give you an example um, it, it's very well possible that you know if you're a, an oil painter on a canvas there's not a lot that technology is really gonna do to change that you're pretty much doing the same thing for the most part that people have been doing for the last couple hundred years you know give and take some mixing of colors and they, they still do that today you know and, and, of course, if you're a, a sculptor, there's really not too much you're going to be doing that's different than, than the past. But many, many things regarding uh, writing, um, photography especially, because, you know, everybody has a, one of those cameras on their phones now. They can Everybody wants to be a photographer, okay? Um, so things like this. Uh, graphic arts, uh, so much is done now on the computer. L- l- not so much is done on paper anymore. It's almost considered old hat. I can imagine being an architect now yeah you, you know they used to have all these drawings and you hand it over to people and now everything's done on a computer i mean you, you hand somebody a flash drive or you know a small sd chip or something but we'll try to stick as much as possible to writing now i'm older so uh, unfortunately uh, when i remember uh first writing in the 80s everything was done um buy a a typewriter sometimes a selectric one which were very the very best ones but also the very expensive ones most people just couldn't afford to buy one of those things i mean they're gigantic heavy instruments but you know you can change the the font balls on them and do different fonts like you could do with a computer now but you would just change the ball in it but that was considered the uh, you know the highest tech back then. I mean, if you had one of those, you could do an enormous amount of things. You can even connect some of those to a computer, and and some of the old fashioned computers would 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 actually type things for you, you know. And you can connect it with an optical uh, reader as well, and you could scan documents, and then they would type things out for you. It's amazing what can be what could have been done even with just that limited and and older fashioned technology. But of course. That started uh, going away once we, we started introducing ourselves to the first uh, uh, personal uh, you know, home computers. Now, I, when I, I saw, when they when when first came out, I saw the enormous advantage. Uh, because I, I used to be one of those writers that I used to bemoan the fact that I got to sit here, type this stuff, then I got to go someplace and make some photocopies. Because that's what you had to do. Whatever you typed up... Boy, you had to really make sure that was going to be your master. Make sure that was the uh, the edited of all edited versions. That was your final, because now you got to go someplace and get a bunch of photocopies, put them at the house somewhere, and get ready to mail those out to various markets. You know, and of course, uh, once you found one you thought was was good, then you got to put it in an envelope. You got to address the envelope. You got to put stamps on it. You know, if you try to put more than a couple poems in there, you might have to put more than one stamp. Um, if you send it to a foreign location, you had to include what they used to call an IRC, an International Reply Coupon, that you would buy at the post office, usually a twenty, dollar fifty, something like that. That lets the other person on the other end buy stamps so they can return stuff back to you, either with the answer of, yeah, we accepted, or no, here's your stuff back, and you know we're not going to accept it. Because you used to also have to include a self-addressed stamped envelope with these things. So you're spending time... And money on stamps and all kinds of stuff, whether it's, you know, local or, or international, on a regular basis. And then, you know, one day you get some mail in and you don't know if it's good or not. I, I do know that one of the things um, that was normally done that was kind of negative and even depressing is if you got a fat envelope back, there's a good chance nothing was accepted. You're just, They're just returning everything back in that envelope. That happened a lot, you know. Uh, but you you can never be the person to just throw the whole thing in the garbage without opening it up because you just never know if there was a note in there of encouragement you never know if maybe they said they um didn't want four of the poems but the fifth one they wanted and there was a note in there so you, sometimes it wasn't a guarantee that that was a big negative reply i mean most of the times it was but you still always had that mystery so it was always a exhilarating slash depressing a moment when you got the mail and you had all these things in there i used to send out a lot no different than i do now but um that was just a big chore it was expensive in many ways uh, to to do all that i mean i was known to recycle stamps whenever i could if i got something back and it wasn't stamped by the post office i cut it out put some warm water in it, re-glue it back to another thing and send it out no rule against it because quite frankly the post office doesn't stamp it that means they didn't use it if for some reason they didn't use it i'm using it again it's money it's no it's no joke it adds up trust me you got to do this 10 15 20 times you know you're putting out 10 bucks easily just just to mail stuff out you know and you think i object to submission fees now in many ways that was a submission fee you had to do that so i uh, although back then there was very very few places that that you had to actually pay for someone to read your stuff it's not as common as it is now. They they use technology as an excuse to get money out of you. But um, it's not really necessary or warranted. And I object to all of it and I never ever comply with that. But back then that was your expense and that was your chore and that's what you had to do. You know, and oftentimes unlike now where money people don't really care about a cover letter, or if they do, you know, you can have one built into your email or something. That's no problem, you know, or you're submittable. And that becomes your, your cover letter. No problem. But when you had to do the mailing back in those days, you literally had to type up a cover letter on top of that, you know, and oftentimes it included the title. So it was hard to have a, a master one that you just fill it in because be, they'll be able to tell you did that and looks you look kind of lazy, so you have to start that from scratch. So you can have some photocopies of your work, but then you still got to type that thing up, you know. And so literally where you're at that typewriter, especially if you had a really good one at the uh, library like I did in the military, they had libraries that used it. Uh, sometimes I would do it at, 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 at an office uh, of, of a teacher or whenever I could go in someplace, I'd sneak in there and type some stuff up. That's what I used to do. Eventually I got my own smaller personal electric typewriter, something, nothing of a IBM Selectric, but you know, it did the job. Not perfect, but it did the job. I did a lot of uh, work that way when I was in the uh, in the military. Until, while I was in the military, the computers started coming out. I remember owning, um, the first computer I owned was a Commodore 64. I'm talking about something that should be a museum. I mean, this thing had a floppy drive. It didn't have a whole lot of memory. But I was able to put all the poems that I, I retyped into it. And then used. Um, the word perfect program that came with that and then that worked out and you just look under the the uh, the title of the poem you know and and you hit the button and it prints out in, in, on a dot matrix printer so I mean talking about primitive I mean this was like the equivalent of uh, caveman stuff but nevertheless it's still it still really helped to uh, to do something that looked as, as professional as possible because back in those days there really wasn't any rules about, You know, doing something with good penmanship and and mailing in. Most of the times, they wanted something typed up. I mean, so no matter how good of a penmanship you are, you just really couldn't do that. So you had to have some access to that. There's just no way around it. It's just amazing, so much that we take for granted right now. So I was really happy with the Commodore 64. I used that for quite some time. Eventually, they came out with the um, the 3.5 Harder Discs. It's like a square plastic disc that was able to hold a lot more than a floppy you know it was also a a more perfect one because you know if you got the floppy dirty or you know if it was in a room that you did a lot of smoking in it could it could affect that the operation of that drive and and have a problem and that back then i was a i was a heck of a smoker too especially in in germany i mean i i smoke uh i think a couple of packs a day easily so Uh, That was definitely an issue, because I'd be smoking when I was writing, smoking when I'm typing, smoking when I'm putting the stuff together and mailing it out, you know. It was no different, though, when I was living in Germany and the Air Force doing all this stuff, because it it was going through the American postal system, so that was not a problem, you know, just that uh, they give you a really small mailbox, so, I mean, there was times where they literally have a note, yeah, come to the the window, we got more mail for you, (laughs) because they only could take so much, you know. And um, it, it, it was fun. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. It was fun to get uh, some real good connections. Uh, of course, uh, again, back then, because the, the, the little use of technology, or even when you had that personal computer I had, they really didn't have any real internet. So you really couldn't find out anything from markets. You had to either buy the market book that was uh, put out by Poet & Writers, or you would go to um, Writers Magazine, I think it's either February, March of each year. They have like 20 or 30 pages of all kinds of different markets that are out there. And that I would often go there to the library because, you know, I would never subscribe to these things. That just means me like a lot of money out the window. I just go library. They subscribe for it. Hey, my tax dollars are going there anyway. And I just make a bunch of photocopies of all those pages, and that's what I would use for the rest of the year. I'd just be targeting this, try this, do that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, sometimes, um, um, uh, Poets and writers would have some 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 classifieds or some you know ads in the back about people looking for this and looking for that. So I tried that out because I could buy that magazine at the at the uh, at the commissary in the in the at the Air Force base I was at. So that's pretty much how I got the market information because it really wasn't in the internet, you know. And then uh, as the computers upgraded, I was able to go to that three and a half. That was really helpful, and I was able to store more stuff, you know, and. Then it was just about, you know, getting the ribbon cartridges for the, for the printer and make sure you always have enough of that, that dot matrix printer paper with the perforations and then you had to pull it off. It's, I can't believe all the amount of work we used to have to do. It's just unbelievable compared to now. You know, now, uh, starting in the 90s, that's when I, I switched everything over from WordPerfect and I had to switch all those files into Word. And God, the conversion was, was horrible because I had so much stuff written by then, you know? The computers uh, for the '90s still took the three and a halfs back those days, so that was great. I had hard drives, but it still took the three and a halfs for quite some time. So I was able to throw everything on the three and a half, and then just dump it in there and just do the conversion. And that took weeks to do all that, just to try to get everything to Word and everything. You know, eventually uh, on 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 some of those until I eventually had a, you know, a bigger a bigger computer that I could just put everything in at the same time and just sort of back it up later on with a. Uh, with a flash drive that came out in the late 90s and that's pretty much where I've been ever ever since um, continued to use word which of course when I was using word there really wasn't any competitors other than word perfect and to me it wasn't as good as word at all it wasn't as easy and you know and it wasn't as as universal so I, I stuck with word I thought it was gonna stay and it did um, there really wasn't any Google back then and so they didn't have any Google Docs and they were not really, really when a bunch of open office you know, competition like there is now. It's one of the reasons why uh, for my uh, literary journal, because I, you know, I got sensitized to this uh, talking to people and understanding what they do. That I'm not, I'm not gonna be like other magazines that demand that things have to be in word or they won't take it. And to me, I think it's stupid to do that, and, it, and it's just grossly unfair. Because I deal with a lot of international people. There's a lot of international people out there that they, they might not be able to afford the $200 it costs for word. You know, it's expensive. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm using the most up to date version right now, but it took me years just to get to use that one because these things are not cheap. They're not. So I understand how some folks can't do that. Some folks don't even have Wi Fi. They live in villages. They don't even have any connections. They have to go into town, go into an internet cafe, use whatever the heck they have, which is usually some Google Doc thing, you know, and, and, you know, transpose everything they might have written on their phone onto some email that they could send over. So, when you start putting these rules into effect, you know, you're going to be cutting out a lot of people, you know, who through no fault of their own live in a place that don't have internet, don't have connections, don't have, you know, hell, sometimes regular electricity in, in a regular basis, you know. Some of them, the phone is all they got, and then they go to the cafe to do the rest of the conversion. Some can't even get to that point, they just shoot it on through Messenger. On their phone. And then I'll just have to convert it that way. It's extra work for me. But again. I'm okay with that. Because. It's not everyone that does that. And the ones that do that. They have general reasons for doing that. And I, I appreciate and understand that. So that's why I made sure that. You know. We didn't exclude anybody out. You know. We, we might have, have issues with bios. And we might have issues with. You know. Uh, good English. But we're not going to have any issues. With, with those sort of things. Technical issues. Uh, I'm not going to. Whole people against so just not i've gone through all that stuff myself and i'm not doing that so we don't do that here and i understand that but it's just amazing how much we could do right now that we couldn't even do 30 years ago so so much has changed of course the email itself is just a radical instrument so i don't even have to do anything in the mail anymore in fact the only time i ever have to do anything in in, in the mail with conjunction of writing is uh is contests you know, I don't pay for any contests, by the way. So if it's free and they want you to mail it, I'll do that fine. And also, when I, I make nominations for my magazine for other writers, you got to do that. Pushcard is a good example of that. You know, what I mean, you got to put it together, type it out. Um, well, not type it out. Just print it out, and uh, you know, just put the information about you know where it was published, the date, and everything, in the link, and then you just mail it over to them, and you know, that that becomes the nomination. So. Other times, I there isn't really very few times. I just I don't do anything. I, I I got to the point where I was so tired of dealing with the mail that I just don't deal with the mail. Other than those few exceptions, I don't do something. If there's a theater that says you gotta give us a, a play because I'm a playwright, you know, in, in 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 print like it was in the old days, I'm like, yep, that's a market I'm skipping. When they tw- when they join the 21st century, yeah, I'll give them a look. Until then, bye bye. That's what I do. I'll do it to any other magazine or any other situation. I'm not playing those games. I mean, I could send screenplays to Hollywood and they take it by email. So, if Hollywood and they're not exactly the most advanced on a lot of things sometimes, especially the rules and way they go about things. I mean, we're still writing screenplays the exact way we, we wrote them like the last hundred and something years. It's the exact same, same way, you know. And if you're ever in a situation where they want it in print, they literally want it certain uh, margins uh, gotta have the brass fit- fitness in there you gotta have a uh, card stock on the back and the front and sh- i mean they don't play with those rules if you have to do that so it's a thankful uh, and a blessed thing to, to have someone able to take anything by email these days so i'm always happy to do that sounds great to me and i and i, and I love it but um Other than that, I just don't. Now, that's my choice. I'm not telling everybody this is what you need to do, okay? If you're happy to uh, maintain a small um, supply of envelopes, you know, yellow and, you know, white, and some stamps and, you know, and and all of that, and and do this uh, occasionally, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you got the time and you could do it, that's fine. I, I don't have that kind of time, and I don't really... I don't really have that kind of patience for that stuff anymore. I mean, if everybody else is doing this, how the hell hard it is to take some email stuff. I don't know what somebody's thinking when they, they need to have a piece of paper in their hand. It's not hard to allow us to do this. Because I always felt, and I was certainly right, that all those old-fashioned things, they, they, they were pretty much a burden on writing. To have all of this stuff free from that is, is a wonderful thing. And I, I would definitely promote that. I tell you, it's one of the more positive examples of technology really doing something for us instead of against us. So I think that's a great thing. So yeah, I exclude those people. That means those are markets I've never been in. That's fine. If you got that stupid rule in place, I don't want to be in your market anyway. So it doesn't bother me one bit. Now, if you want to, that's fine. Okay. Now you think about it. Also. Um, where it concerns uh, the digital photography now. I mean, you're not going to find too many people left in, in, in your personal life or on a professional basis that literally do the old-fashioned photography where they have a dark room built in to their office or their home and over there hanging up stuff like, you know, clotheslines from the 1920s or something. I'm waiting for this to dry. I mean, even even hearing someone say that now sounds incredibly old-fashioned there's no drying everything everything's digital and it's it is definitely interesting and and fast and, and superior In every way you possibly can think of that that word superior you know no chemicals no nonsense i mean how healthy was that stuff even to breathe you have to wonder but you're going it's very difficult to find it so i think if anyone does something like that those people are probably enthusiasts i know they still sell the equipment to do that you can get it on you know, eBay, Amazon. Uh, I don't even know if you get them in the regular stores anymore, because quite frankly, almost everything has been converted over to digital. you know, even those thirty-five millimeter cameras that—that that was a principal part of that for like a hundred years. That's, you know, yeah, there's not even stores that sell that stuff anymore. Uh, you know, brick and mortar. I mean, you have to literally buy that over the internet. It's just not around. And of course, I'm not against it. Even though I, I'm telling you right now that it is primitive, and I—I I wouldn't waste my time with it. You know, I really wouldn't. If I was in photography, I'm like, no. Not at all, but if that's what somebody wants to do, and they get some pleasure in it, and they have some nostalgic feelings about it, and they don't mind breathing in chemicals all day, cool, go for it. I quit cigarettes fifteen years ago, so I'm trying to stay away from chemicals in my body, not the other way around. All right, but um, if you think about it, as a photographer, or even when we have to deal with servicing art and and pictures and stuff like that in in you know in an aerial chart, you know. It's it's wonderful to be able to use some of your own stuff that you took, or or maybe get something that somebody puts out there for uh, for uh, you know royalty free that you can convert and, and create something with. So it's you could never do something like this, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So it's amazing that we have something like that. Uh, my kids were born just in time for this because uh, I have so many photographs of them without having to deal with all this. Stupid mailing something in to, to get your fixtures back two weeks later or go into some Photoshop. And yeah, it might be one day, but you know, it was I, I felt it was pricey. It was like 20 bucks or something. And, and, and you're still paying for even the shots that didn't come out. This dude doesn't have a head, but I got to pay for this? Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. You know? Hey, uh, I got to pay for two headless shots over here. And then this dude has a foot. I mean, what the hell? So... That's what you used to have to do. I mean, because, you know, those are clunky, old-fashioned cameras, unless you had something really good. But if you did, you had to understand how to operate it. It's kind of, it's almost foolproof to operate a digital camera. It really is. And and the kind of shots you can take and what you can do is something else. I took a few and submitted them to magazines and and got them published. One even became a cover for a magazine. And that's just me. I don't even know a lot about photography. So it's amazing what you can do. It's fun. I, I like doing it now and then. It's sort of like a, a way to um to, to relax. And, um, and and then just be able to do something that is not just writing. You can try to do something yourself. And I, that's one of the reasons I like about the magazine and even doing some photography. It's just something different. Something you still feel you can do something artistic about. it, And, and you can put it in a machine. You can... Uh, you know, you can enhance it and, and change it and colorize it or decolorize it. It's just amazing things you could do with the, with the equipment. I know people who do graphic design, I mean, that's all they do now. So you, you have to practically be a, 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 a programmer or a heavy understander of that manga, of that publication and, and the program and the software for it. You have to do that because you can't be the kind of graphic designer anymore that's just drawing stuff on a paper. I mean, I'm sure some of the older ones probably still do that. And maybe even some now do that on the side. It maybe a way for them just to begin something rather than having to warm up the computer and get this going and this and that. They got some notions or inspiration, you know, draw it down and kind of go from there. No different than a writer would do that sometimes before they they go onto a device. But it's transformed. Uh, Digital photography transformed uh, photography uh all of those computer software transferred the the, the, uh, the graphic design and you know the email and and, and laptops and, and 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 iPads and and just uh, just pads in themselves uh, the Kindle with the ebook reader all of these things have transferred writing and reading in, in, in a major way and we could do many things with them now that we couldn't do before so I feel in many ways that, it's taken a lot of the, 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 the useless junk we used to have to do and it allows us more time to concentrate you know on the writing and, and on the production, on the editing, all the things that, we, that I think are a lot more important than having to put a stamp on some envelope where you already know as you're putting the stamp on the envelope statistically, you, you probably got like less than a 10% chance that someone's even going to say yes. So I swear, if you have 10 envelopes in front of you when you were doing that, you knew 9 of them were going to be a no. And there was plenty of times when it would be 10 that were a no. But that's how doing that, how it demonstrated to you how you had to be committed. How you had to try to do the best work you possibly can. You hope you cover letter it was something useful that kind of catches their eye. You hope this is something they might want. Uh, because it's a whole lot of work and, and to get back a whole lot of nothing, you know. I I have in, I had instances where they returned back to work in such good shape it, it didn't have too much of a damage or messing around. That I was able to re-put it into somebody else's envelope and re and re-market it out that way. So I don't have to go around making up some more copies or doing something like that. It was already folded and as long as it was legible and nothing got smeared, I mean that's what you used to have to do. I mean, just redo it again. you know, And keep doing as much as you could until you get a, a, a good answer or you know, and also you got something uh, brand new that um, you know you wanted to get out there. So um, I don't know if any of you guys remember any of this. I mean, I know I have a wide range of ages when I deal with writers, so I got plenty of writers that are definitely you know in the twenties and thirties, and psh, they they might not even remember doing any of this stuff because you know if they started doing anything in in, in the nineties at all, I mean that stuff already came out. There wasn't too much uh, mailing or anything. People are already starting to do this, you know. And there's just so many things you could do now with, uh, with just the email itself. You can um, include it inside the email you're writing. Some people actually uh, uh, have that as a guideline. I want it inside. Some say I want it inside and an attachment. Others say I don't want attachments because I think they have a virus and just do it inside. Others just say, you know, um, just tell us a little about what you want to do uh, in the email, and then we'll get back to you if we're interested for you to, you know, submit it. But nevertheless, it's an easy way to track everything. I mean, it's just amazing because unless you did a separate log of all the acceptance, rejections, all the things that came back, all the things you sent out, you won't even remember what was out there anymore. You you have to have a log because otherwise stuff comes in the mail, and you're like, who are these people? You, You don't remember. You know, where email is completely different. It, it, it keeps a log of everything down to the second of when something was sent, when something was received. You know, it's a lot more instantaneous. And, of course, it, it, it ultimately, even though you are paying the Internet bill, don't get me wrong, ultimately it feels like a, a, a free a free device to use because you can use it unlimitedly. And also you could use it on every destination in the world. I mean, I don't have to mail. Something to South Africa that between getting there and the return stuff, it cost me like almost $5 where I could just do it by email. Boop. And it's out there instantaneous. So it's just it's just an exciting tool to have. And like I said, it's a less of a cumbersome burden on all those things that I was explaining. And of course, uh, the computer is also a great way to create, you know, some sort of a tracking log or some something to do. You know, I know I've had an episode where I talked a little bit more about uh, tracking, but, you know, we could talk about it briefly, just in the sense that they actually have programs that you could load into your computer and just put the information in and track stuff. You know, I, I think that you could just go uh, using the grid on a word and make your own little tracking thing and fill it in every time. You know, if you want to print it out, you can. If not, you could just leave it on there as a file. So to me, it never seemed like it made a lot of sense spending 30 40 $50 on a program. That you could just do it on a program you already paid for. Just make one. It's not hard to do. There's not like you need that many categories, you know. But they have a few out there. You know, and you can use them if you want. But I, I don't really see how you really need to do too much. Sometimes I find some of the newer writers, especially, they're going too much. I mean, they're literally going to the point where they have logs for rejection just as much as um, acceptance. Folks, it's not a good idea. It's a bad idea psychologically to do that because who really wants to see their rejections in their face? It's going to be a long list. It ain't going to be nothing close to the acceptance list. Who wants to see that? And what does that really do for you? You really think that if you got rejected by this magazine, uh, let's say uh, three times in one year, is that giving you a signal really that something's wrong with your work? There is no signal to get from that. There's no reason to track anything bad. There really isn't. It's a bad idea. So I counsel people, don't do it. It's dumb. What do I need to know this? And You don't need to know any of that, okay? And I'll tell you why. The simple reason is this. People's tastes change over time. You might send a poem out a year later to the same thing, same editor, and they take it, and they might even put a note. This is great. You know, and you're saying in the back of your mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. Here we go. uh, I didn't hear nothing. It sucked. Why is that? People change. Things change. So the rejection doesn't tell you anything. They might change their mind. Even more important than that. Editors change. They change more than they change their underwear. Okay? So again, what does this rejection tell you? Nothing. I don't think I'm going to send it anymore. They just reject me too much. I'm going to go someplace else. Not a good idea. Another, Another editor... Might love your stuff. It's all about what somebody's going to view it. What their opinion is. How, how they feel at that moment. You know how many times I've been accepted on magazines where they changed the editor? It, it can't be a coincidence. I, I knew one editor that was there for five years kept rejecting my stuff. The moment this editor was gone, not even three months later with the new editor, they took like half the stuff they sent to the other one for the last five years. What does that mean? I guarantee you they don't have a record. Uh, Yeah, this is Mark again. Let's just give this guy a break because we're tired of seeing them. No one's saying that. No one's tracking that. Nobody cares because no one's doing that. So don't do it either. Just send whatever you feel like sending and let it go. You're never going to really know why they accepted it in the first place just like you're not really going to know why they rejected it. It's not like they're going to tell you anything. That's almost never going to happen. And when it does happen, then you can take some counsel and you can take some note Hey, this dude says that the fifth line is kind of clunky and it's not making sense. And otherwise the poem is good. I need to revisit this. All right, here you go. An editor who actually wants to be an editor. <laughs> Maybe you should write his name down or her name down because you're not going to see a lot of that. That's somebody you might want to be communicating with. And then you could do something. Because I tell you, if they take their time, they have their busy time to do anything like that, they're probably going to be on the money. I have never in 36 years had an editor write me a note that it turns out that they were wrong. Never once. If they took the time to say something, I took it seriously. And it turns out it was they were always right. Always. They might not always have been right about whether they accepted something or whether they rejected something. That's, that's all on them. I have no idea about that. But when they said something critical, always took it to heart. Always fixed it. And guess what? It can't be a coincidence that all of those things that they said were wrong, that I fixed every single one of those places, Either tip it back or in many instances it's still find a home somewhere else. So they all got published. And, and, and basically they helped me by improving the writing, Which is what an editor should be doing. I'm not saying they need to be spending three days on everybody's work. Trying to figure out what could be wrong. But a good editor, they should be able to tell right away if there's something seriously wrong with this thing. And that's really holding the, the, the poem, the fiction piece, the, the essay, whatever, whatever. It's holding the writer back. They should be able to say something. It's not hard. Especially when we did these things by paper. Just to put a little red pen over there. What is this? What the heck? Da 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 da. You'd be doing somebody a real service. Especially if there's someone willing to listen. Okay. So you don't know. So tracking negative stuff, dumb idea. So I never did that. I the only thing I ever tracked, especially by email and I save on paper too, is I saved all the comments that were very good and all the comments that were bad. I saved everything like that. If they gave me a bunch of form letter nonsense, that's that's in a landfill someplace in Arkansas because it's definitely not in my house, okay? But um, anything else, I saved. I like any commentary. If somebody wanted to say anything good or bad, I saved it. You never know when you can use something like that. There's nothing wrong with saving that. Something real, Save Even if it was unfairly negative, you know? I had someone that had some stuff to say about one of my one of my pieces one time and I thought it was a lot more than just rough I thought it was just rude I I found some merit in, in it and I, I checked it out and I did some changes but some of it was just like really how much time do you have to say this but yeah you gotta you, you open yourself up to that when you when you submit that's always a risk folks always a chance that you're gonna get something dumb sometimes you know and that's fine it's just a, that's just the risk that we all take and you got to live with that over time you hopefully you, you've gained uh, some kind of a thicker skin you know to to let it roll and i don't mean thicker skin that somehow you're immune to being rejected because nobody is you know and it's just like the the military person that says i'm fearless i'm gonna go out there and shoot everybody yeah just like that if you hear a writer saying yeah i'm immune to rejection don't hurt me at all now, these are two examples of liars that you don't want to be around okay all right if you're around the fearless guy in the military get rid of him okay don't let him in your unit keep him at the bar maybe you're gonna punch him in the mouth in his re- in his in his restaurant or something and, and get away from him because he's useless and dangerous okay because that that's just a pretender writing is not for pretenders It's for real people who actually have a little bit of enough of a courage go out there and say something about themselves, about their family, about their environment, about the world. And they were able to put their name on record to do so. Not a fake name, but their name. There you go. That's a writer. And that's somebody that has some form of courage by doing that. Because that's what it is, really. And it's the same thing with a writer. They telling you, you meet somebody that says, I'm immune to that. It doesn't affect me at all. You know, don't even waste your time with someone like that. It's not even a good idea to even have a relationship with them. <laughs> it really isn't. You know I mean uh, of a professional nature okay because that, that's somebody you can't trust when so they're willing to lie like that because that's crap okay I've been writing 36 years you know I, I got a rejection the other day you know it's Saturday when I'm when I'm recording this right now I'm still not too happy with this rejection okay what's running through my mind I don't know um why did they rejected it why don't they only give me an answer is there something wrong with this piece? Uh, can I find the editor and, and, and maybe jack him up? <laughs> These are what runs through my mind, okay? Because I'm human, because I'm a writer, and because just like 36 years ago, I have the same feelings. You're, you're not going to really change very much as a writer either. You're just not. Most people in generally don't change in general. You're not going to change as a writer. Those same things go through my head. You don't You don't gain some um, uh, imaginary super reservoir of confidence and courage because I've been writing for 36 years. Ha! They mean nothing. Ha! I I don't really care. Ha! That's crap. Yeah, they do mean something. They're the editor of the publication saying they don't want my work. Nah, it does hurt. Of course it is. I'm human. I'm a writer. It's supposed to. It's what keeps us going. Alright, so don't look for ways to get rid of your pain. Sometimes you just have to look for ways to try to channel that into something else. But, you know, three days later, I'm still not exactly excited with it. That's how it happens. Sometimes uh, you're on a roll and you get a bunch of things published. And then the next, you actually know you're going to get a bunch of stuff that you don't. It happens. You just don't know it. That's why I, I, I say this all the time on this on this show. I don't know if anyone believes me or not. And that's fine. It's still the truth and still going to tell you that. All right? I feel the same as they did when I first started writing. The same way. That same excitement, that same validation, you know, that same, you might want to even call it entertainment. I've had days so crappy, you know, between work not going right sometimes, or the car having a problem, or the weather screwing up things, or the kids driving me nuts, you know, The, the wife asking me to throw out the garbage four times, and I really did it three times ago, but somehow they don't notice, what the heck's that about? That you get an acceptance and, and and it's like, oh Lord, thank you. It, it feels like it made up for the rest of the crappy day. It feels like somebody out there giving me a high five on a day where all people are giving me is a kick in the ass. That's what writer can do for you. You know, it works the opposite too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when you, you get a, a rejection letter that, you know. I'm still having a good day anyway. Now it's always a day a little bit when the day's good and you get somebody saying bloop, you know, especially when it's that solace form letter. I don't care where it comes from. I don't care if it comes from the mail. I don't care if it comes from the email. I don't care if it comes from Submittable, which makes it look classy. But guess what? When someone, when someone's telling you to go, uh, you know, uh, jump in the lake. It don't matter how classy it supposedly sounds. It's you're still being told something. You're still you're being told to go to a hot place, and and I'm talking about Miami. Okay, that's that's what it is. There's no way to look at it otherwise. You know, because if you start believing the crap they put in these soulless letters, you're giving these people all these reasons to get off the hook. That's why I tell magazines sometimes, when I'm sending them stuff. And later on, I get rejected, and I get a whole bunch of emails from them about, you know, buy this, do that, support this. I'm like, I reply back and and get off of that email list, and I'm saying, why would I give you any support? Why am I going to give you any commentary? Why? You you can't even tell me something wrong with my work. You can't even take a moment to do that, but I'm supposed to be giving you all the support. Uh, That would be a big no, okay? Sometimes uh, there's a spot over there where I can write and sometimes I say a lot more than just no okay I don't care is it the burn bridge that's too bad there's still plenty of markets out there oh well this is what I do I don't tell you to do it but that's what I do because sometimes I get pet, I get I get pissed I get frustrated I get I'm like you got to be kidding me with this crap you know they don't even obey their own rules half the times and and the garbage they say inside these letters They don't make any sense. Because remember, I'm an editor now. I have my own publication. So I already know what they're saying. It's a bunch of baloney. They have more staff than I do, folks. Two and three hundred percent more. And they're still saying the same lie they've been saying for 30 years. You know? It doesn't really fit the overall theme that we're putting for this publication. You know, last I checked, there was no damn theme. Okay? Because I'm looking, I don't see a theme. Um... Well, you know, we got so many selections, like hundreds, uh, you know, we only could pick a couple. Yeah, okay. Let me tell you something, folks. If you are running an electronic journal of any fashion, not all these places I'm submitting to, uh, or a print journal, you don't really have a a, a limitation, okay? You you really don't. Whether you decide to put 100 pieces in that month, or 200, or 50, or, or 30, is up to you. It might be more work to do more, yes, but you don't really have the same limitations so giving people that same lie not very clever and anybody who owns anything about putting these things together in the background then we know it's a it's a bunch of baloney because you look at the writer on the other end you're like that's why we insist at, at, at aerial chart that we actually give people an actual rejection when it's necessary and we explain why no form letters you actually get something from the editor it's me or somebody else you're gonna get something that's really gonna get something that's that's gonna be useful. As much as I can make it useful, I I definitely give it a try. But it's not some robotic message. It's not some poor excuse, and it's not some lazy man's, you know, epiphany on. I can't believe I, I'm so busy doing this job. Don't be edited, then. Okay, go back to being a writer and stop wasting our time. Okay, that'd, that'd be really helpful. So keep keep it in mind, folks, that. The writers of the past, uh, they, they had a harder time. And, and I, I can just imagine people like Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, I read and I've even seen in, in real life some of his, his redrafts that they had in storage. And uh, you could see. It gave proof that he wasn't some alcoholic drug addict like his critics like to say. And historians had to revise in the later biographies And when they understood that. You can't do this kind of revision. You can't do this rewriting and, and, and be some complete buffoon. You can't be a complete a buffoon on these things. No, they, they understood that, but I mean, they were doing everything in hand. Then going back to a typewriter and and typing in in some old manual thing. Because remember, typewriter's been around a lot long, longer than the electrical one. And in some cases, in Edgar post days, there were some places that if you could do it legibly, they would actually take it that way. You wrote it in, you mail it in, and they'll take it. So, I mean, they, they had those things. Because not even anybody back then could even afford the manual typewriter. Quite frankly, I don't even know how Edgar Allan Poe afforded that. Because this dude had problems eating sometimes, let alone typing. Okay? So, those of the past had to do an enormous amount of work. I mean, we've known um, writers that, uh, you know, without computers and everything, everything was done by typewriter and paper. The house burned down, bam. I know Tori Morrison, that happened to her. And the whole manuscript went up in smoke. Had to do it all over again. From her memory. Was it as good as the other one? I mean, even she couldn't tell you. But that's a, a tragedy in itself. So now with clouds where you can shoot stuff up and save it. With, with flash drives you can save two and three different copies of it. You know, your computer can go on fire and you still got stuff that's, that says this is my work. You know, this is what it, what's out there. I got protection three and four or five copies. So there's plenty of stuff you can do and I urge people to do that. Make a backup, okay? You don't need a backup of Pokemon Edition 3 the, the Candy Bear, you know, series or something. You don't need any of that, crap. Okay? You don't even need a backup for Word because if you buy it straight, uh, they don't even have an actual software anymore. It's all all loaded in their system. You just have a code. It's all in there. Once you pay for that, if your computer blows up, you get another computer, you just go back to Microsoft Word Tell them all about that. It just reloads up in your computer in two hours. So, I mean, the technology can kind of make that it saves you from yourself, saves you from disaster, and that could be your writing too. So put it in a flash drive. Put it in a cloud. Put it in some place you're going to have safe to it. Please don't put it on paper somewhere if you can help it because that's going to get lost, or you're going to spill spaghetti sauce on it, or it's going to get burned, or it's going to get thrown away. A hundred bad things that can happen. So definitely keep that in mind. It's another thing that I like so much about the technology where it concerns writing. It's not just about the delivery. Because that, that, don't get me wrong, that's super important. But I like the storage capabilities of it. It's really what I always was more fascinated with. I could save this stuff someplace safe. I can go get it later when I need to do this and I need to do that. So I always found that that was the most interesting and fascinating of all is to be able to do that. Because in the end, you know, you want it. You, you, eventually, you're going to put together books. You need to put put things together. It makes it that easier. You know, it, it, it makes it uh, easier too. God forbid if you have any copyright issues. You got, you know, you, you know what's going on there. It has a timestamp. It has a date. You know, it's something that that shows some real ownership and authorship. You know. So that is it, folks. Now for um, the technology and the arts. Uh, I know you might want to have gone, me gone over with, uh, with podcasting, but I did an episode about that already. And if I have to go any further, I'll do another one just on podcasting. But yes, uh, I'm literally podcasting, uh, from an office in my home, uh, using a special, uh, software to, to mix and, and recorded a uh, special, uh, boom and a microphone that connected into the laptop with some filters and boom, you have an instant studio. You don't need to go hanging out with Orson Welles, you know? So, it, it, another interesting and exciting thing that can do for you and deliver to you and, and, and also save. All right, folks, until next time, God bless. This is Gent to Be Human. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing. www.somapublishing.com.